a series where we're challenging you to make that decision to, well, some of you are about 16 inches from the kingdom of God. That's the distance it would take to bow down. And so I'm gonna pray right now that today is a day that something catalyzes in your soul where you say, I'm different when I walked out of here than when I walked in, because why? I made a decision to bow down. Never done that. I've heard it, thought about it, but I've never done that. So would you bow with me right now in this moment, Father? Uh, we don't have to pray, your Holy Spirit come. Your Holy Spirit is here, you are here. You are present, and Jesus said the kingdom of God is within you. You don't look out there and go, there it is. No, you, it, within you. That all it takes to cross that line of no return is a I surrender. Of all the ideologies that are out there, of all the hopes that humanity looks toward, my hope is in the one who died on the cross for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised from the dead on, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. And now we surrender. So may that happen today and in coming weeks as we now present the gospel of Christ to your work. In Jesus we prayed. Everyone said, amen, amen. You can have a seat. We are in the second week of a series, Welcome to the Jungle, and I'll explain that in a minute, but September 13th, we have the next Players Box session. Six weeks going through October to October 18th, it is happening for middle schoolers, high schools, for parents of all ages, so even if you don't have a middle schooler, a, a high schooler, you can come in the hopes that you won't mess up your kids too much before they become middle schoolers and high schoolers, but... This series and the next one we're doing actually is, is, has some elements of Players Box in it. So make sure you take the opportunity. Players Box is not a medical model. It's not the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. It is the fence at the top of the cliff. It, it is not the rescue squad in the cave. It is the prevention to keep students from getting lost inside the cave. So we want you to know that because we are working really hard. We started this week with Fairmont High School's volleyball program. We're going to be with them for, I think, 10 weeks. And uh, we're, we are really excited about the opportunities of not just we're bringing people in here, but we're taking the principles of Players Box, which really are just about how God made us, and we are, uh, or in this case, integrating them with Fairmont High School, and very excited about that. Today is part two of a series called Welcome to the Jungle, not inspired by Guns N' Roses, but inspired by a video we use at Players Box about a zoo tiger and a jungle tiger. And the way I characterize it is this, I, I want, just a characterization, a zoo tiger, we'll call him Tigger, lives in a zoo where he's fed, he's taken care of, the hardest work Tigger has to do is walk out uh, of his cage, out of, out of his, in, in, you know, his little enclosure, and be very tigerish in front of people. That's, that's his work. That's his job. But we'll call Tony the jungle tiger. The jungle tiger, they're, they're brothers. They're almost identical, born to the same mother, but he's very different because why? At birth, he was, he was given away to live in a jungle, and he has to hunt for food. He has to look out for predators. He has to deal every day with the randomness of the jungle. Well, listen to that phrase. The zoo is very predictable. The jungle is very random. 
And Tony has to deal with that. And even though they're brothers, nearly identical, before long, they are very different tigers. What would happen? The question we're asking in this series is what would happen if we took Tigger out of the zoo cage and put him in the jungle? What would happen? I don't think Tigger would last very long. And here's the premise behind this is is increasingly as Americans, and I'm of course interested in it as those, for those of you who are Christians or, or want to be, we are living zoo lives and we expect to thrive in the jungle of life. We are living more increasingly zoo-like existences, but we expect to thrive in the randomness and sometimes the brutality of the jungle. And so in this series, we're looking at a couple of different things, but we're looking at this in light of Jesus saying, hey, when you come and follow me, it's welcome to the jungle, baby. It's welcome to the jungle. This is not zoo living if you're going to follow me. This is not the safety of a cage where you get fed and taken care of and you don't have to do anything. No, this, he told his disciples, is, is living on the edge of the randomness of the jungle. Last week I mentioned a, a book that I've been uh, really impacted by Michael Easter to put it so well he said we are living progressively sheltered sterile temperature controlled overfed under challenged safety netted lives and it's limiting to the degree to which we experience our one wild and precious life now if you're here and you're an atheist that's true for you you needed to hear that because you can be an atheist and be be living a sheltered life but for those of you who are followers of Christ for those who say I'm a Christian this is really important that you hear that because this has implications. Because Jesus came not for you to live under challenge, safety netted. He came, he said, John 10, 10, that they might live life and live it to the full. And like the frog in the kettle, we're the frog in the comfort kettle that, that some of us just need a wake up call. It's like, oh my gosh, I have. I've been digressing into this comfortable existence that is under-challenged. And Michael Easter uh, says in his book, the reason he became an alcoholic, not because his life was too hard, it's because his life was so comfortable he had to medicate it. Real interesting paradox. And so Jesus comes along and he says, hey gang, welcome to the jungle. He called the crowd to him along with his apprentices, that's what disciple mean, and said, whoever wants to be a Christian, whoever wants to be my disciple, must comfort themselves. That's not what it says. Deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Now, down through the centuries, there's been a lot of debate over what take up their cross and follow me means. Some monks have taken it, taken it literally and they carry their cross. And some people have been literally nailed to a cross. I don't think that's what he meant. What he meant certainly was a realm of mission that is discom discomforting. No matter how, how specific you want to get, and we'll unpack this a little bit more next week, but take up your cross would mean that what's, what, what is your way? You're going to follow my path. And it's going to mean discomfort. It's going to mean challenge. After last service, Gerald Parker, Gerald is a judge downtown uh, Montgomery County Police Court. He sent me a text with Carol Lawson, the coach at Duke University, telling her players this is going to be hard but you're going to be the kind of people that can do hard. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, it's not that life's going to get easier because you do this more. You're just going to be the kind of people who can do hard more. 
You're going to be able to do that. And he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Now remember, this is the gospel of America. The gospel of America is find yourself. That's the gospel of America. Find yourself. I just got to find myself. Isn't it interesting how nobody ever finds themselves in Cleveland? They, they're like, I, they know, I got to go to Cleveland. It's always the Bahamas. It's always some Caribbean experience. I got to go find myself. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, that was literally true of some of them. Some of them would become martyrs. And right now, they are our cloud of witnesses going, come on, girl, listen to this. Come on, guy, listen to this. Because trust me, I've been sitting here watching this for 2,000 years going, yeah. But it's also true within this life, not just after this life, but within this life, that it brings your life into such a mission focus that every day is bursting with meaning. That's the amazing thing about following Christ is life becomes this amazing, amazing adventure. What is he going to do now? And so he says to come and follow me. This is not a, I'm going to give you a pitch. I'll make your life easier. No, he'll make your life simpler. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. He said that. He said, my, my system of teaching is, is not complicated. But he said, there's a cross involved. There's a decision involved. What do you want? What do you want? And as Christ followers, we have to gradually grow into getting comfortable being uncomfortable. As our way to live for Christ and with Christ. Now, if you had been living as a tiger in a zoo all your life, we could not throw you into the jungle, and overnight, you all of a sudden start living like a jungle tiger. What would we have to do? We'd have to gradually train you in that. If you want to become a marathon runner, you don't just go out and try to run a marathon, because a marathon's not about trying, it's about training. And so is life. And following Jesus isn't about trying hard to be a Christian. I'm trying really hard here, Jesus. It's about training every day, and the way you train every day is you intentionally choose discomfort with some things. That's how you train. It's, just a little, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's not complicated. It's not like all of a sudden you've got to start running 26.2 miles for Jesus. It is simply every day I train with intentionally focused discomfort. And I'll show you why, uh, what here in a few minutes. Dr. Mark Elliott is a Harvard-trained physician who owns a company called P3. He does um, performance evaluation, especially on... Uh, professional athletes. He says, in modern society, it is now possible to survive without being challenged at all. You still have plenty of food. You still have a comfortable home, a good job to show up to, and some people who love you. And that seems like an okay life, right? Real quick, by the way, churches are notorious for being places where, hey, don't, don't get in my stuff. Don't challenge me too much. And have you ever heard about churches where people get upset because someone sat in their pew you ever heard of that? And, 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 and Jesus sheds tears in heaven when that happens. Oh, my gosh. This is what my movement has become? I mentioned this last week, but years ago, we asked people, can you, some of you who are really comfortable going to church on Sunday, start going on Saturday? Because we don't have room to bring people who are wanting to come to Christ. That was 24 years ago. And then a couple years ago, you know, Saturday night, just for years, had just been going down, down, down. And then we stopped doing it, like a lot of churches have stopped doing it, because Americans don't go to church anymore, really, on Sunday, let alone Saturday. And how many people, oh, you're going to make me go to church on Sunday? And they left our church to go to another church that has church on Sunday. But anyhow, uh, 
it's amazing how the, this movement based upon a man who embraced the cross can become, but I don't like the color of the carpet in the sanctuary. It's amazing. And so he says, not only as Americans, but as, as Christians, we can live a life that's unchallenged. And he does this. He does this exercise. He says, so imagine, and he sweeps his arm really big in this circle. Imagine this is your potential. Imagine this is your potential. But what if you're living this life? Is there a tragedy in that? I mean, you pay your bills, you take care of your cat, you're a good person, but you live this. Well, if you don't believe in Jesus, honestly, I think that's your prerogative. But Jesus didn't call you to just get you to heaven, because if he did that, he wanted to do that, he'd kill you the day he saved you. He wants you to live this. Where <laughs> there's this growth happening, and you look back on your life and you go, whoa, I lost my life in him. But boy, did I get a version back that I never would have dreamt of. No way would I have ever dreamt of that. And he says, most of us live in this small space right here, but we have no idea what exists on the edges of our potential. And by not having an idea what it's like on the edge, we really miss something vital. And he talks about how certain cultures have these events that are designed to expand that circle. Tragically, in America, for example, we don't have rites of passage. I remember when my dad told me about, he was born as, uh, he, his, his mother was Apache, so he, had, he went through the Apache rite of passage process as a young man. And it's like, oh my gosh, I'm glad I grew up on, in, in, on, on uh, Wilkins Run Road in Hanover, Ohio. I'm glad I didn't have to go through that because it was really uncomfortable. And he says we don't have that, but he talks about like to this day, the Dutch continue to hold, uphold a scouting tradition called dropping. They call this, they have a term for it. Dropping involves blindfolding kids and then dropping them in the, kids, uh, in the woods at night, these kids, and then saying, figure a way back home, son. Figure it out. And now some of you are looking at me like, what and is he talking about there? Well, we don't do that, and, and I don't think we should do that. But what we do in America is the exact opposite of that. And one of the things that people don't understand about boys is boys will find danger. Boys will find danger. And what we've done is we have taken the claws out of the tiger and put them in a cage, and there's no, advent, there's no adventure. It's, life is so comfortable. Boys will find danger. Everybody ever see the movie Fight Club? It, I mean, boys will find danger. And the Japanese have a, a tradition called Masogi where you, you do something, and they have two rules. It only, can only be 50-50 that you can complete the task. And the second rule is you can't, you can't, you can't be killed. That's the, those are the only two rules. And, and they do this. Why? To, to say, you got to grow beyond your little circle, son. This life can't be about the approach that we take as Americans, and that is we're going to make things as easy as possible so that they find themselves. And um, one of the... The interesting, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Some of you heard me say this. There are three dates. If you're a parent, there are three dates in the last uh, 30 plus years that have affected you whether you wanted it to or not. First date was that I'll mention is June 29th, 2007. Anybody know what happened on that date? The iPhone was released. Your life was changed forever when that happened. 
and a parenting process went, underwent incredible alterations on t- June 29, 2007, because this thing now dominates our lives. One guy said, he goes, I now know how I'm going to die. One of my kids is going to unplug my life support so they can charge their phone. That's how I'm going out. I just know it. It's now. It's going to happen. The second day, April 13th, 1997. Anybody know what happened on that date? Little guy who at one time was three years old and appeared on the Mike Douglas show Swing on a Golf Club won the Masters. And every parent, especially dads, realized that if I just teach and coach my kid like Earl Woods taught Tiger Woods, I will raise another tiger. There was even a book called How to Raise a Tiger. And on that day, I mean, parenting and youth sports went from transformational to transactional. It's never been the same since. It changed dramatically on that day. But here's the day. Here's the day that changed so much in this country, but it really changed parenting. May the 4th, 1990. I bet you don't know what happened that day. Nobody remembers what happened that day. There was a news release that came out about how many kids in America were being abducted from their front yard. It was exaggerated. It wasn't accurate but it caused fear. And what does the media love more than anything? It's things that are sensational that cause fear and will cause more fear and more people to read those articles. And scientists at New York University, NYU say, May the 4th, 1990 was the day that helicopter parenting was born in America. What's helicopter parenting? We're gonna hover over our children. We're gonna make sure there are no people who are going to steal them from our front porch. And he talks about the fact that some states have even had to pass free-range parenting laws after some parents were being charged with neglect for letting their kids go outside alone. Up to age 16, they shouldn't be outside alone. Now, real interesting thing on this is look at this. We went from helicopter parenting to snowplow parenting. Helicopter parenting was hovering, snowplow parenting was and lawnmower parenting was just, we're going to pave the way for Jimmy. That's why teachers today say, nobody is for the teacher anymore. Why? Because you're the bad person creating obstacles for my kid. The whole mentality is, you're in the way of my child finding themselves. So every teacher will tell you, almost no one sides with the teacher anymore. Why? Because we're snow plowing. Since 1990, anxiety and depression among college students has increased 80%. Why? If you raise a tiger in the zoo, they aren't ready for the jungle. They're not ready for the jungle. And so we all have to look at ourselves and go, oh, wait a minute. Now, I, I, I want to see what does this mean in light, of, in light of Jesus Christ looking at his followers and saying, hey, if you're going to follow me, this isn't zoo living. This isn't zoo living. What, what, what is the cost of zoo living? Here it is. I'll I'll just take a picture of this with Jesus this week. You have some time where you pray this through because this is is the cost of zoo living. Zoo living, comfort living, produces comfort creep. I'm going to explain this in a minute, but comfort creep is a real thing. It's a real thing. Yesterday's comforts become today's discomforts. Comfort creep. Secondly, comfort creep produces low endurance. The more comfortable I am in life, my my don't quit muscles atrophy big deal because most of what jesus is about is faithfulness and not quitting the things that are noble in life that he calls us to 
our, our callings, our service. Most of it is not comfortable. So this is a problem following Christ if I'm never tested on my comfort zones because low endurance steals meaning. Low endurance steals meaning. If I never bust through and I uh, quitting points and I never say, you know what, I'm not quitting these lessons because these lessons are going to teach me something that is going to pay off in 20 years. I'm not quitting this job because I know it's a low-level job, but if I stay with it, there's going to be an opportunity. I mean, we could just go on and on, on and on. Look at this, look at this, look at this. You cannot have a meaningful life in Christ without intentional missional discomfort. I'm, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm saying that's an axiom. To follow Christ is to have meaning but there has to be the exercise of discomfort or you never get to the payoff of the meaningful things that he calls us to. I look out of here to some of you right now, you're doing stuff that is crazy for Jesus. People think you're nuts, what you're giving, what you're doing and serving. And I know many of you have been, very many times have been tempted to say, this isn't worth it, but you didn't quit. And now your life is pregnant with meaning every day and purpose, strength, why? Because you embrace discomfort. Dr. David Levare is a, he actually studied, he's, his life is all about studying basically the cliche, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. He, he really got into his field of study because he was fascinated by that statement. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And he wanted to see, is this, is this true? So he's given his whole life to this. And he writes these words, he says, comfort creep means when a new comfort is introduced, we adapt to it and our old comforts become unacceptable. Today's comfort is tomorrow's discomfort. This leads to a new level of what is considered comfortable. Think about this, think about this. How many of you use the stairs? Unbelievable, there was a day in history when they had to climb bamboo ladders. I mean, there were no stairs. Then one day, someone invented this new thing of efficiency called the stairway, right? Unbelievable. And that was acceptable until one day someone invented the escalator. It was a 20th century invention, I believe, late 19th, early 20th century, the escalator. And all of a sudden, yesterday's efficiency was what would we, why would we ride the escalator? Now, it's really interesting. I don't know about you. Have you noticed the universal law that in every airport, one of the two escalators has to be under repair? Have you noticed that? Like, oh, it's always the one that you want to use. One of the two. Go to the Dayton Airport, Cincinnati. Right now, the escalators, every, for every two, one is broken. But what? Yesterday's innovation of efficiency becomes today's discomfort. Each advancement in comfort shrinks our comfort zone so we're not able to choose the hard thing. Now, no, 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 think about this. To love is to choose the hard thing. You can't love well if you're always in your comfort zone. Because love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. And, and so, Paul said something to Timothy where he knew Timothy. He had been in Ephesus a while. And he said to Timothy, he said, Timothy, I know there's some things that are going on that are really hard. And Timothy was tempted to quit. He was Paul's apprentice in the church at Ephesus. But he said, Timothy, I want you to fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. I don't want you to go, oh, you know, things are tough. I'm wilting. I'm melting. I'm melting. No, I want you to fan into flame. 
That's a really interesting statement because there's a guy at NYU by the name of Nassim Tlaib who wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. And the whole book is about how we parent, how we live in America. And he proves from a scientific basis that children are born anti-fragile. We make them fragile. There is an element to children that is anti-fragile, and then we gradually, we snowplow and we do all this stuff that just makes them. Now, you can't leave them out in the woods at night. They're not that, they're not that anti-fragile, but they're, they're, they have a grit to survive. And he has a poetic image where he says this. Think about this. He says, the wind is inevitable. The wind of adversity is inevitable. You can't stop it. It's coming. The wind extinguishes a candle, but it energizes a bonfire. You want your child to be the fire that wishes for the wind. Isn't that a great image? I, we're going to use that in Player's Box because that's Player's Box. We want to we raise up students who, they're not little candles in the wind, never knowing who to cling to when the rain comes in, you know? channeling Elton John up here today. No, we don't want, because that's what, oh, my little candle on the wind. No, we want to raise up students who go, bring on the wind. I had a couple of people ask me, do you have cancer? Because I've heard someone tell me you have cancer. And I said, well, if I do, you know more than I know, because I don't know that I have cancer. But I am having a test done in about a week and a half to see if there's something that's wrong or not. And all summer I've been living with this uncertainty. And planning this series. I don't know if you know, you know, like COVID didn't make life less certain. It just exposed the illusion that we think we're living certainly all the time. Like, like, like life is really uncertain. I mean, it really is. I don't know if you noticed that. And so when you have the threat of cancer over your head, and those of you who have cancer know this to be true, it brings a reality of uncertainty in your life. I'm not sure I'll ever be the same because I've had to live this. Jesus, blow your wind into me, that I might deal with whatever comes my way, like you would. Because I, I, I'm not trained to be a zoo tiger. You've trained me to be a jungle tiger. And if you're hearing this today and you have some uncertainty in your life, you have some things that are uncomfortable, uncomfortable, you say, Lord, make me the bonfire, not the candle. Fan into flame the gift you've given me of your presence. Now, the key to this, the key to this is, I know I've had to live this way for a long time. Look at John 9, 23. This is the parallel verse to Mark 8, 31, 32. This, this, is, this is the same thing, but in an, in, a, in an earmark of truth, you know, all the writers of the four Gospels didn't say the exact same thing. There's actually an earmark of truth of if four witnesses say the exact same witness in, in a courtroom, then you know they've corroborated their testimony. The, the apostles, they, they, it was really cool how they sh- showed things sometimes from a different perspective. And one of the things that Luke adds here, he was a doctor, so he was very much more specific. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. And this is the interesting thing. If you want to be a jungle tiger, it's not about one day you're a jungle tiger. It's about every day. You are very intentional, physically, emotionally, spiritually. You intentionally do things that make you uncomfortable. Why? 
she'll become more like Jesus every day, a little bit. So here are three questions. Look at these three questions. This week, I want you to take a comfort inventory. Take a look at how often do you go the easy way when you could do the hard thing. And I'm not saying become a bunch of masochists, okay? I'm not saying that. But you know, sometimes it is good to just choose the, the long line. Just choose it. Why? Because you got to wait. Don't pull out your phone. There's something, as I said last week, that happens in the human brain when we don't use our phones to intercept boredom. There's something that happens in tenacity, in patience. So do that. Like, do some things. Do some things and look at when, when you could have chosen a tougher way, a harder way, physically, emotionally, relationally, and then say, Christ, I want to know you more deeply. I want to be more like you. I'm going to write that down. And maybe there's some things you can say, I'm going to do this week. I'm going to do this week just, just to stretch my comfort zones. Number two, what actions am I going to take to create intentional discomfort and intercept comfort creep? So this one is really important. I always do this. When you're physically, if, if, if you say, I walk a mile a day, great. That's your comfort. Walk a mile and a tenth every day this week. Do something because you know what? I, uh, I had a calf injury last in the spring, and it, a really bad calf injury. It knocked me down for about two months being able to do anything. So when I started running again, oh, my gosh. It was hard to run a couple miles. And now I'm up to running a lot more miles, and it hasn't gotten easier to run. I've gotten hard. I've gotten tougher. I've gotten more in shape. Why? Because I'm pushing myself. I'm carrying stuff. I'm doing. Why? You physically, you you can run five miles today, and it's a discomforting thing. Or you can walk five miles today, and it's a discomforting thing. But if you keep doing that in two months, it's not going to be a discomforting thing because your body's going to grow. It's going to increase. It's going to stretch out of its comfort zone. What are you going to do? What are you going to do emotionally? Here's the amazing thing about following Christ: is many of us are Christ followers, but yet we're very comfortable in our anger and our bitterness. We're very comfortable. We haven't done the work of saying, you know what, this isn't right. I know I'm comfortable being an angry person who carries anger around like a squirt gun. And I just kind of squirt it, you know. It's like, it's like a convenient uh, weapon I have, you know, sarcasm under the table. And have you, would, you, would you say, you know what, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to do the hard work. I'm going to get with Southbrook's pastoral team. I'm going to see a Christian counselor. I'm going to do the hard, discomforting work of why I am so angry all the time. Why, you know, depression is anger trying to come out often. Why am I susceptible to that? Here's another one, relationally. One of the big things Southbrook is getting back to is relational discomfort. And here's what I mean by this. Jesus, in verse 38, he goes, Now, those of you who are going to be ashamed of me and my words, you're going to regret it someday. I'll be ashamed of you. And this got their attention and so much so that after the resurrection, what they w did is they went about telling people about Jesus. Even though it wasn't popular in Rome, even though it cost many of them their lives, they would have conversations and say, have you heard about the Nazarene? He is Lord and Christ. Not Caesar, he is. And they would have these conversations about people, and it led Jewish people to Christ. Led some of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling council, to Christ. People were coming to Christ. Why? Because the early Christians went really discomforting and really vulnerable in relationship and said, I'm going to talk to you about this Jesus that has given me hope. He's given me cleansing. He's given me purpose. He's given me strength. Let me tell you about it. And, you know, one of the images Jesus had was, 
He said there was a shepherd who had 99 sheep that he left to do what? What did he do? He, to go find the one. In that day, a flock of 30 was a big flock. He says there's this big flock, and the shepherd noticed one person. Who's one person? Pray about this. Who's one person in relationship with you that you can say, would you mind if I talk to you about the hope and the strength and the cleansing and the life that I found in Christ? I would love for you to come to church with me sometime. I would love for you to know the Christ that I know. Have you done that? It's uncomfortable. I'm a preacher. It's uncomfortable for me. But it's a great adventure. You don't have to have it all together. It's one beggar telling another beggar where they found bread. Would you be willing to do that? Some of you, some of you, last one, some of you have not done the uncomfortable thing of baptism. The word baptism means immersion. It means to dip. It was actually used in the clothing industry to dye clothing. Have you done that? I know some of you were sprinkled when you were kids, but you don't remember that, do you? No, but you've never made that decision publicly. In a couple of weeks, we're going to offer that to you as an opportunity to claim Christ in your life, to live saying, I'm going to take up my mission. I'm going to take up my journey with Christ. I'm going to live for him. He's going to live through me. He's going to use me in ways I never could have believed, and he's going to take the circle that I'm living in right now, and he's going to expand that circle so that one day I can say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And you've not done that, and we're going to offer that today. Today is the beginning of Big Splash. It began right now, where we're going to have some pastors up here. I'm going to pray, and if you say, I, I need to do this. I need to step out of my comfort zone. Jesus walked 70 miles to get baptized. Do you know that? I, I, count, I counted it. It's about 70 steps from here to where we'll be doing the baptisms. <laughs> Can you do that? Can you do that? Can you walk up here today because you know it's uncomfortable? People might see you and say, today's the day. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not waffling on this anymore. Today's the day where I say, I lose myself in you, Jesus. I don't have it all figured out. I don't know all the answers, but I know that in you, I know what God's like and that he loves me and that he's drafted me to be on his team. And you've got to answer the call. So right now, Leah and... Kathy and Frank and Jerry are going to be up here and they're going to be ready to receive you if that's if, if you're if you're almost ready to do it that's ready say Jesus Christ is my Lord would you bow with me right now as we do that and we pray for those of you who are now going to enter into this journey big splash father we pray right now that you would that you would prod and say to her know he's talking to you I'm speaking to you to say to him you know you're the one you think you got to have it all together you think you got to get your act cleaned up before you come to me no you got to surrender all I did was bow down all I did was worship and like Thomas he didn't have it all figured out but he fell on his knees and he said my Lord and my God and his life was never the same and he's a part of that great cloud of witnesses right now who's saying you go girl you go, guy. You do that. You surrender because I'm telling you, you won't regret it. You, know, you don't be ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And that today is your day. And that big splash, the ripple effects of big splash really start today. So Jesus, thank you for giving us a life 
that is, in the words of the Hebrew writer, the indestructible life. That does hard things because of love. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' character, for Jesus' sake, we pray. And everybody said, amen. See you next week.